Good morning. My name is Steve, if we've not met, and I'm part of the team here. And congratulations, Niners. Yeah, great game. Well, yeah. Well done. Well done. I know you're sitting here waiting for me to say something else, but no, there's no. No? Way to go. Way to go. It was, uh, it was a great second half. Beginning in 1788, we had our first presidential election as a country, and George Washington ran unopposed, and he received 100% of the popular vote. The first two elections were that way. George Washington was the only candidate that was running. No one uh, was willing to run against him, and he received 100% of the vote. But since that time, beginning with our third election here, and the election of our second, third president, John Adams, he received... 51% of the popular vote. And what began was a trend, and this slide kind of shows you a trend of the elections that have happened, all of our elections, and in the middle is 50%. And what, is, what it basically shows is that we are a nation divided. With rare exception, um, the elections show that division really clearly. If you were just to take the last eight elections since 1992 in our country... Five of those eight elections were decided by less than 50% of the popular vote. In other words, our president was elected with less than 50%. So last election that we had um, was a landslide by our standards, 52%. Um, and so it's, it's here, I'll just show you this just to kind of talk about, we, we are more divided than we could ever imagine, we don't even realize it. Last week when Jay began his sermon, he started talking about the pace of life and how some of us are weary and the new year's coming upon us. And I was sitting there just going, it's, it's the air we breathe. It is the air we breathe. And how do we gain a resilience moving into 2023? Because I think that, I believe the tide is turning, that things are going to be uh, moving in 23 for some of us in, in tremendous and great ways. How do we begin to embrace that? Well, we've got to recognize that there's a weariness that comes, but also there's this division. And I believe it's part of uh, this, this series kind of lays out as a strategy against the people of God. Now, I know that sounds alarmist and all conspiracy theory kind of a thing, but I actually you can recognize that there's, there's a strategy going on and the main enemy that has, shows up in the division is ego. We are just... We are proud and arrogant as a people, some for good cause, but it works to our detriment many times. Let me kind of show you what I'm thinking about. Here's a triangle. I love triangles, you guys that have been around a while. And you know, I love triangles. And here's the, here's the series in essence is, is that we are depleted, we are divided, and we are distracted. And that, that is characteristic of, of our lives. We have to be very intentional and very disciplined to fight against these. Now, if these are the things that we seem to be immersed in, how do these work against what God wants? Well, we've been saying around here for a long time uh, that the essence of following Jesus is, to, is based around three loves, to love God, love your neighbor, and to love one another. And you can see that one of the ways this strategy kind of plays itself out is, is it works in opposition to the three loves and the essence of what it means to follow after Christ. If you are, find yourself as depleted and divided and distracted, you are less than effective. In the cultures that we're living in now, you are less than effective at loving God, 
loving your neighbor and loving one another. But what I want to show you is, is not only is there, a, is, is there an effort to work against this, but if we can identify these things, there's also a humility that becomes into our lives that is modeling Christ. And that the example of Christ actually calls us to this. And then finally, that there is not only an example, but there's, this, there's also a, a real warning in the scriptures against uh, pride. So let me pray for us. And we'll move right in. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather. And it is with humility that we come and ask that you would teach us. That we would recognize some of the things going on in us that are holding us back from what you have for us. Please help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. The teachings of a poor carpenter in the first century began to center around humility. And there is evidence, and there's a book by John Dixon called Humilitas, which actually shows that the very first time in recorded history that humility is seen as a virtue is in the life of Christ. And he began to show that there is a a submission to others, a way of living that puts other people more important than yourself, that is actually the way of God. John Dixon, in that book, Humilitas, this is what he said, for early Christians... The crucifixion was not evidence of Jesus' humiliation, but proof that greatness can express itself in humility. The noble choice to lower yourself for the sake of others. The first datable reference to this innovation in ethical reasoning comes from a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Christians in a Roman colony of Philippi in northern Greece. So what he's saying is, is the very first time that humility is seen as something to pursue, as recorded in history, is actually seen in Philippians, the book what we call Philippians. And in chapter 2 it says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So as we interact with one another, what should mark those relationships is something that Jesus modeled and showed. And what did he show us? He said, Who Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The symbol of Romans' rule and and persecution and authority and suffering He actually became an instrument or a symbol of our hope. Therefore, God, because Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What I'm trying to express to you is is that Christ's example is characterized by this pursuit of humility. That it ought to be enough then just for me to say, now go and do likewise. But let me take a little bit of time to give you some other reasons why humility might be something you pursue in the coming week. This upside down kingdom that dominates Jesus' teaching. You can't read any of the Gospels without seeing that he starts to talk about the last will be first and to live you got to die and and to gain you got to give. I can um, 
Pride is that destructive force that kills relationships with one another and holds back some of the things that God wants to do. Let me take you back to 2003. In 2003, um, we had just made the decision here. I I had come in 2001. 2003, the first decision that we needed to make was, are we going to stay at this campus or are we going to go move to another location? And by 2003, in the first couple of years, we had decided there's not any place better to go, even though people really wanted this place, this dirt that we have. There's nobody, no place better to go. Strategically, we love this location. We're going to stay. So the very next thing was, well, if we're going to stay, then we're going to have to build a worship center and we're going to have to build a better um, accommodations for children. We're going to have to re- you know, renovate or build new Once we saw how much it cost to renovate and how below code we were, we knew building new was going to be better. So we began a discussion about building this building that we're in right now. And the first decision was, will we build the building in its present location or will we build it in the front parking lot? Now it seems like, well, that's that's easy. Well, turned out it wasn't so much that the elders divided. There were some of us that believed that the building should be built in the front parking lot and have all of the exposure of Saratoga Avenue. And then others, including the architects, believed that it was better suited to be built back here and um, that it would be service long-term, much better building being built back here. Well, as simple as that decision maybe seems at the time, it was not quite simple enough. And we spent weeks and then months arguing about where to build the building. And I found myself in the minority as a new guy thinking that a building should be built in the front parking lot. And we came in, we would, one of the items on the agenda would be to discuss that and we would argue about it and I would present my newest case about why it should be built there and then we would dismiss in deadlock and go back and everything was hung up, everything was stopped and hung up on this decision. One morning, a Tuesday, before an elder meeting that evening, I remember waking up and I began immediately to process in my own mind a new strategy of why the front parking lot was absolutely the very best place to build this parking lot. And I just went over it in my mind and I thought about the arguments about what people would say and I, was, I, I thought, this is going to work. And then, it was like I heard a voice. I wouldn't say I heard an audible voice, but I just had this question. This question came straight to my mind, and it was this question. Do you really care? Do you really care? Well, yes, I'm the new guy. I don't want to appear like I don't know what we're doing. I mean, I'm, I, I don't want to appear like I, you know, I'm just guessing, which in fact is exactly what we were doing. We pray hard and guess. That's still our mantra. And so I began to realize it doesn't really matter. I'm holding everything up. We need to get going and present something to our congregation, and we are deadlocked. So I I went to the meeting that night, and I said, I believe we should build a building in the back parking lot. Well, you would have thought, I said, would somebody please Stick me in an eye with an ice pick. I mean, you would have thought, that's a nasty thought, isn't it? I don't know why that came to me. I didn't say that last service, but you never know. (laughs) I mean, I I just, you would have thought it was was horrible. It was just like, but anyway, and 
Immediately, everybody was like, amen, hallelujah. Thank you for coming to your senses. No, they were, kind, they were kinder than that. But they, the architects had given us strong recommendations about where this building should be. Well, I will tell you, about a year later, one of the elders there came and said to me, he said, I knew Westgate was going was to move forward and this was going to go well when you, when you decided not to build it in the front. I'd never had an experience like that with a pastor before. And you had fallen right into the model that I had experienced in the past. And I couldn't believe that you would do that. Now, now wait, just be, before you say, yes, Steve, that's Steve. He's a humble dude, man. That is such a humble. I didn't care. It's not humility to give somebody their way when it, I don't care. I, I mean, I really, I genuinely said, do I really care? And I had to admit, I don't care at all. I'm arguing this thing now for months just because I don't want to appear like I'm weak or I don't know what I'm doing. It was all about arrogance. This was not a humble act. Not really in that sense. It was just commonsensical. Everybody says you ought to build the building in the front, in the back parking lot, Steve. What in the world makes you think you know something they don't? But yet I thought I did. And things just, there was there were decisions in front of us that were way harder than that. Way harder than that. And that opened the door for things to kind of start to go. Now, it's not just, though, the example of Jesus that ought to call us to humility. I'll take you to another passage. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this. All of you, and I checked, that all there, it means all. Say it with me, all. So that's us. All of you, clothe yourself in humility toward one another. Well, why? Because God opposed, is opposed, opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This word, um, God opposes, might be resists or moves against. It's the word, a compound word, antitasso in Greek. Anti, meaning against. Tasso, meaning to arrange. It's a military term which was used for generals when they arranged their armies to move against their foe. Now, right about now, you ought to be going, what? God opposes the proud. God moves his forces against the proud. So I just gave you a second reason why you should embrace humility. Not only did Jesus model it, but God is against it. Actively, actively moving against it. The verb then that says humble yourselves is actually in the passive voice. Now, this is kind of cool right here because let me, let me confess something to you. I never pray for humility. New, no. new. No. 
you have, I have, well, I don't think I've ever said, God, please humble me. But trust me, he's actually very active in the process of humbling me. That's what this verse says. It's in the, it's in the passive voice. It's that when God brings about humiliation to submit to it, he, he will do it. He'll take care of it. Trust me. I remember one time, Dana, when we were first married, she said, I feel like one of my things in our marriage is going to be to help humble you. And I was like, girl, let's leave that to God because he's already smacking me around pretty good. And, and let's let you get on the encouragement train. God opposes the proud, but shows favor, shows grace, moves the opposite direction, moves for those who are humble. So submit yourself to the process of, that life brings. If we, had, if we had the rest of the week, we could just take time. How'd you get humble this past week? Everybody's got a story. Every single one of us has a story about how that happened. Humble yourselves, therefore. That he might lift you up. He's looking for opportunities to exalt you as he did Christ. When you cooperate in the design of the life of Christ, he will move on your behalf. And he's watching, waiting for opportunities to do so. And then the context of verse 7, everybody loves 1 Peter 5, 7. They don't like verses 5 and 6, no. But they love 7. Little verse. In fact, some of y'all got... Verse 7, hanging in your house on some cute little ditty somewhere. <laughs> Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you, which is true, which is absolutely true. It's, it's, but it's in the context of humbling yourself. I mean, the verse goes together. It's, it's a continuation of the thought. It's this strategy that Jesus modeled of combating the pride that comes into our life that causes division. Let me show you a square here that kind of shows how different it is. I think it's going to come up in, yeah. Good job, guys. The way of the world is in yellow. And in Jesus' day, kings, emperors, pharaohs, Caesars, were trying to move everything up and to the right. It's got to go up and to the right. Make sure it's going this direction. And Jesus stepped into it and said, the, the way of God, in my example, is actually downward. It's, to, to become great, you will descend. You will begin to humble yourselves and have a proper understanding. We'll define that in just a second. But as you humble yourselves, you will open your eyes and see the needs of others and you will begin to place their needs above your own. Well, how do you do this? Well, there's many teachings in the scriptures about how to do this, not only following the example of Christ, but Colossians chapter 3 is one that is really helpful for us. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So that is the truth of who we are. Humility is not some assigning these negative traits to me that are just beating myself up. Humility is actually a proper assessment of who I am by the grace of God and living in that. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
clothe yourself. And he begins to give us some traits about what it looks like to follow the, the example of Christ. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Whatever grievances you have, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, and above all these things, put on love which binds them together in perfect unity. Let's just work through, through those words. Compassion. I mean, compassion is, is a sensitivity to those suffering and in a need. Have you given any thought that the rain might be harder on some than others? Have you given any thought that those who work hourly wages outdoors are not working much? Or are you simply consumed with the fact that the rain has messed up your golf schedule? A life of compassion would lift up my eyes and say that the, the world around me is full of all kinds of different needs. Kindness manifests itself in a sweet disposition and a thoughtful way of dealing with our personal relationships. Would the people that know you best call you kind? Humility means having a realistic view of ourselves, thinking not lowly of ourselves or highly of ourselves, but accurately. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, and every one there means Everyone, oh, thank you very much. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober or sound, accurate judgment in accordance with the grace that has been poured all over you. Okay, that last part I ad-libbed, but it's, it's what it means. It's, the, it's that I don't beat myself up. Humility is not this beating down of, my, of who I am. And it's not this elevating of the little bit I have. It's just coming to a recognition. I am deeply loved by God, significantly gifted by His grace in my life. And His Spirit, as I walk in obedience, provides opportunities ahead of me that I might do His will. That's what it says. God, we are God's workmanship. And the word there's poeta, it's, it's, or where we get our word poem from. He's crafted us just like an artist would craft a poem. He's made you exactly like you are. But he hasn't made you better than everyone else. He's just made you, you. A good definition of humility is this. Humility is the noble choice to forgo your status Deploy your resources or use your influences for others before yourself. It's not this self-deprecation beating yourself up. It's an accurate view of yourself. How God sees you and how he wants to use you. Gentleness means not behaving harshly, arrogantly, or self-assertively, but, but with consideration for others. I mean, gentleness will get you killed at work unless you choose to trust Him, unless you choose to be different. Patience is the quality of being, of being long-suffering. In the Hebrew, the word when it says that God is 
slow to anger. It, it literally is he is long of nose, which is weird, right? Come on, that's weird. God has long nose. No, that's not what he means. But you know, when you get really mad and you're like, you breathe in and you don't act, you just kind of take a deep breath. That's what it's kind of talking about with, with God. Are you, do you, is that you? Are you gentle? It's very close to humility, patience, being long-suffering. Bearing with one another means putting up with others. Putting up with others you don't like. Putting up with others that disagree with you. Putting up with Packer fans. I just saw a Packer fan. Yeah, go. Forgiving means you're not holding a grudge. You're releasing the debt that others owe to you. And love means doing what is best. It's to will the best for another person with a longing for connection. And here's the deal. We, we spend a long time or a lot of time here trying to convince you to get into life groups. And some of you, you just, it just doesn't work for your schedule, but even though we have like so many different options, that's tough to believe. But okay, some of you, it may not work. I mean, I'm not calling you a liar. I'm just thinking you may be lying. <laughs> but, but some of you, the reason, and this is, this is legit, some of you don't want to be in a life group because you're sure that you're going to get in a life group and there's going to be people in there that you just don't like that much. Well, guess what? That's the perfect environment to express compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another. If you like them and they're easy to get along with, you don't have to bear with them. Forgiving them means they've wronged you. Life groups are the perfect place because they're, those people in that life group are just like you. Broken. In need of grace. Needed the application of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you. They need it too. And how arrogant it is to stay at home and not have community because you don't like them. I mean, really, right? I mean, if find a life group that's filled with obnoxious Crazy people, that sounds like the perfect group for you. Bring some sanity to it. Go in there and be kind. All right, another opportunity. Guys, this is just for guys. Sorry, gals, but for guys, this coming Thursday, uh, um, our, our church and Venture Church are doing a, a thing together where we're, it's called Better Man. And uh, Tim Lundy, their senior guy over there, lead guy over there, and, and I are going to teach together this better man. Meets at 6.15 on Thursday mornings, 6.15 to 7.45. It goes for like 9 or 12 weeks. I don't remember how many. 12. I'm going to be at nine of them. So, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So we get this, you got this deal, and there's going to be some guys there that are so difficult. And there's going to be two guys teaching that are super difficult. And so come and grow. 
in patience and kindness, humility, compassion, gentleness. Another thing you might do is you might just identify somebody in, at your work that is, you know, you avoid pretty regularly, and you might just try to expose yourself a little bit more to them. Not all, not, you know, don't, don't ask them to lunch or anything crazy like that. But just begin to identify with them. And if not at work, be, make a choice that you're going to find someone that you disagree with quite a bit, and you're going to just start to hang around with them a little bit more. Find somebody that votes differently than you, feels differently than you do, he, you do about religion, has maybe supports a Packers. I mean, and then spend some time with them. And just realize that there's actually, I don't know, there might be some good there in Green Bay. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but make friends with people of a different mindset. Listen, this is, this is exciting to me because um, I think it'll make a difference. I think it really matters. I think it, it, it distinguishes you immediately. If first of all, it says, I'm intentional about growing my faith in my day-to-day -day experience, not just attending church. But it also puts you into the, the example of Christ that seems to make a difference. I saw it make a difference two weeks ago. Maybe some of you were watching the Monday night game with uh, the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals playing one another. It, it was billed as this great game. They were both playoff teams, probably the best two teams in the AFC. And you Niner fans, you should pay attention to it because you're probably going to end up playing one of them if you make it to the Super Bowl. And they're just, they're just really good teams. And so all this hype around this Monday night game. And then at the very first of the game in the first quarter, a guy named DeMar Hamlin was involved in a collision and he got hit in the chest. And when he got hit in the chest, it sent him into cardiac arrest. They had to perform a CPR on the field and he, he's doing fine. He's recovered. But something, something miraculous happened. Suddenly, it was okay to pray in the NFL. Suddenly, there was a recognition that maybe when you talk about life and death and all of the things that really matter, maybe moving a brown oval object down a green field is not that big a deal. And the next day, um, as I watched the different sports talk shows on TV, which are designed for conflict and division, they have co-hosts that usually don't agree on anything and they yell at each other the whole time about why they're right and the other person's wrong. If you Across the board, every single one of them, they just yell at each other. Here's what happened on the day on Tuesday after the Monday night game. There was no yelling. There was no screaming. There was no great concern about ratings and shock statements. In fact, a guy named Dan Orlovsky prayed during one of the broadcasts. He just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and pray right now for DeMar. I was like, what? When there was, it was like, it was like humility just was poured over the NFL. Now, it only lasted about 24 hours. Okay, so don't, you know, it wasn't like revival. But it was just the trait of humility was poured over the NFL and suddenly all the screaming and all the chest 
thumping and all of the things that they think they've got, you know, figured out, they realize maybe they don't have figured out. And I saw, I saw one of the hotbeds of pride changed for a day or two. They stopped the game and discontinued it. Imagine, here's my challenge for us. Imagine if we took the example of Christ in humility seriously. Last, last service, people online, this service, people online, other campus, people there, people in the theater. Um, imagine if we just all decided just for a day to pour humility over Santa Clara County. Not get all weird. Just put other people ahead of you. Just recognize that maybe somebody hasn't worked in a couple of weeks because of the rain. And so you give a bag of groceries. Just recognize that maybe you're not as sure as you should be about what's causing your family to be divided and how come you're not speaking to some, somebody in your family or at work or an old friend. And we just decided that we will humble ourselves and we'll just let it ooze out across the county. I mean, not all week. Let's just do it a day. Let's just decide Jesus is right. Putting other people ahead of ourselves is actually the way of real life. We just let it ooze out like honey over a toasted bagel. Don't know where that came from either. I've been dreaming about this. Preparing for this, I've been dreaming about what, what if we did it? During the last service, in a sermon on humility, I said, I've been praying about this all week, which was a lie. I hadn't prayed all week. So then I said, I've been praying about it most of the week, which was a lie. I've prayed about it some. You see, even, in, even in, when I'm trying to move you towards humility, I'm drawn towards statements that make me better than I am. What if we were just genuinely interested and had other people's interests above ourselves? I believe we can only do it through the help of Christ. But I believe it would change our county. And it's not optional for a Christ follower. He has called you to be like him. And to be like him means to descend into greatness. Jesus didn't leave a lot of things for the gathering of his people to do. He didn't leave us like lists of how many services to have and what to do in the services. Except for a few things. And one of them is to practice communion. To recognize uh, the, the great sacrifice that has been given on our behalf. And to do that on a regular basis. 
this life of humility, the air we breathe is all arrogance and pride. Every message you hear is about the break you deserve and not the service of another. But I believe Christ will strengthen his children to do the kinds of things he's asking us to do. And when it gets hard, we can cast our anxiety on him because he'll care about it. Paul, in a letter to a first century church, he said on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took some bread and he broke it around the table and began to hand it out to his closest followers. When they all got some, he said, I want you to take and eat this bread because it represents my body which will be broken for you. Part of the reason why I humbled myself and became, a, and became like a, a man, became a man so I could die. And my body will be broken for you in just a few days. Then a little later in the meal, he said, we're, he picked up a cup and he said, I want you to also take and drink this cup. Because it represents a new covenant, a brand new way of relating to God through the body and blood of me that has been given for you on your behalf. That any who would embrace the work of Calvary's cross can be forgiven and brought into right standing with the Father. And because you're going to live in depletion and division and distraction, I want to make sure you do this on a regular basis to remind you of the work that I'm, going about, I'm about to take on for all of you. And so we now, 2,000 years later, continue to practice the table of thanksgiving, the Lord's table. While we are led here in just a minute, I would encourage you, if you're a follower of Christ, you can come and get the elements at any point and then just take them whenever you're ready. But, I, but take some time. Remember, we're all, all of us are battling with this pride, wanting to have our own way. There's something that he brings to your mind. You need only confess it and then take the elements in freedom and forgiveness. Would you stand with me as I pray? It is against our nature to put other people in front of our, our own needs and desires, God. You know that. That's part of why Christ came. And so we ask, in the powerful name of Christ, that those of us who have embraced um, Jesus and His reality, that we would be changed from the inside, that we might live more inside of humility and less inside of the division that we experience so much of the time. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your provision for us in Jesus who died and bore the penalty of sin on our behalf that as many as embrace him by faith. We become your children and are gifted with eternal life. As we take these elements, God, would you have um, unusual freedom in us? If there's something that's holding us back from you, would you bring it to our mind? Bring it to our mind so clearly that we, we know exactly what it is. And then would you give us the courage to face it 
confess it, and embrace forgiveness for it. That as we leave this building in just a little bit, we might all leave in uninterrupted community with you. May it be so in Jesus' name.